Welcome to the Serpent Soul Podcast, where we explore our identity before God and our relationship with God. I'm your host, Kenneth Grady, and I pray that we will be fed by the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, and living with passion for the will of God. And in so doing, may we raise each other up as we lay ourselves down before the Lord. This is the Servant Soul Podcast. The tone of today's message is going to be a little different than you may be used to. I know I kind of came out of the gates swinging the last few weeks, uh, but this week I just kind of have a heavy heart for the struggling Christians, um, whether that be with temptation and sin or with our relationships, marriages, um, and just addictions, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes it seems like the power of Satan is so great in our lives that it influences so strongly that there's just no way to get past those struggles in our life. And what I really want to share in this message is that Satan is a quitter. And if we can just grab onto that and and ponder that for a little while, that Satan is a quitter. What what a breath of fresh air that can be in our our spiritual walk with God to remember that <laughs> this is not the end and this this too shall pass. And I want to start by pointing out that we should remember his track record, right? I mean, from the very beginning, Satan quit on God the Father. God had given him a tremendous honor and privilege of the position of the highest of the angels, but he wasn't satisfied with the position that he was in. And his heart began to change because he desired uh, to be the same as God, to be worshipped like God. And you see that being close to God didn't serve that desire, because when he's close to God, he is forced to recognize that he is lesser than, that his power and his glory is not the same as God's. And so, you know, he did not follow through with that responsibility. And ultimately, you know, he quit. He quit tempting Jesus. You know, and, and that's really puzzling when we think about it, because why would Satan quit when everything depended on Satan's getting Jesus to sin? Everything about the salvation plan uh, and the prophecies and everything coming together around the life of Jesus Christ depended on the sinless life of Jesus. And Satan comes after Jesus's time in the wilderness and, and the Bible records the different temptations that he put Jesus through. And then he seemingly just leaves. <laughs> Jesus Christ gets through them successfully, overcomes Satan, and Satan's like, well, okay. And I think that part of the reason that Satan does quit and move on is really in, in our own nature as well. Whenever I look back to my childhood, and I like to pretend that uh, uh, I'm not this way anymore, but that's not true. <laughs> I am I am to this day a notoriously sore loser. <laughs> and... Um, I handle it a little bit better than I used to, but if I was being beaten at a game, you can guarantee that I was getting angry at a game. And uh, the reason for that is really just the pride that, you know, if I'm losing, how can this be? This this game isn't supposed to be, this, this isn't supposed to be this way. Something was rigged. Something was unfair because the belief about self was that I should win because I'm better or I'm smarter or I'm physically superior or if it's a sport or whatever the case may be. And so the anger comes up because the fact is the environment that I was in didn't confirm what I wanted to believe about myself. See, quitters refuse to stay in an environment that doesn't confirm what they want to believe about themselves. And so when it gets tough, 
Satan quits. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Satan doesn't want to hang around you if that means being near to God. The closer we walk with God, the more uncomfortable Satan becomes, and he might swing by and plant seeds where he can, at times, but he's not sticking around to see God exalted in our lives. He hates it. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You see, it says, seeking whom he may devour. Lions go after the weak and underdeveloped. The lion doesn't choose to go after a strong, healthy, fully developed prey whenever it doesn't absolutely have to. And Satan's the same way. You know, Satan tempted Jesus when Jesus was hungry. He knew that, you know, if there was ever going to be an opportunity to overcome Jesus, it was going to be when he was weak, when he was physically strained and stressed. And even then, I mean, we know he was unsuccessful, but that's the way Satan works. He seeks who he may devour. And so God will give us victory over Satan if we fight the war in his way. And to do that, we have to prepare for victory. Ephesians 6, 11 through 18 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, Satan's crafty, and as crafty as Satan is, we must be just as thorough. Twice it says to put on the whole armor of God. It doesn't do any good to put on the helmet and the girdle and leave our chest exposed, right? I mean, that's that's obvious in the physical uh, you know, aspect of, of putting on armor. But yet, when it comes to what God tells us about, you know, spiritually taking on the armor of God, isn't that how we do? We just kind of grab a piece here and a piece there, but we don't really have the time or the commitment to follow it all the way through. But he says, having done all to stand. And, And three times he tells us that a response to Satan is to stand. But many times as Christians, I think we tend to kind of suit up and then rest or suit up and sleep. You think, you know, we're doing the right things. We're going through the motions. Then we get ready. But it says to stand. It's an it's an active stance against the forces of evil. It's not something that we can just let God take care of it for us and get ready. And then it's just going to go away. We have to stand ready. The second part of that is that we have to believe in the victory. Verse 16 tells us that once we've been obedient to these instructions, you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And remember that. God tells us that we shall have victory in our war with our sin, our temptation, our addiction, whatever falls into the category of all for you. Believing is fundamental. We lose over and over because I don't think we really believe we can overcome, and we don't believe God will help us. We don't prepare because, you know, what's the point after all, right? And it's like Christians almost fear Satan more than they fear God, for real. I mean, think about how we see a 
statue of Buddha or a voodoo doll or a Ouija board. And we get all weird, right? Like Satan's going to leap out of that thing, whip up on Jesus and take over your soul. (laughs) But when's the last time we got that kind of nervous about the power of God? Like if you read and apply the word, God might leap out of the Bible, whip up on Satan and take over your sin. I mean, seriously, we have more faith that sin will always overcome us than we do that God will help us overcome our sin. Somewhere along the way, we got the idea that if you're living for God, Satan's going to make every day of your life miserable. I mean, if you stand up for God, you're going to have a big target on your back. (laughs) We've all heard that, right? Maybe that's partly true, but in the scriptures, it's usually the, the fallen that Satan torments, not the faithful. The fallen are producing daily evidence that Satan may be more powerful than God. It strokes Satan's ego to keep the fallen down, right? But Satan can't keep the faithful down even when he tries. Because the point is, Satan attacks the fallen, and Satan attacks the faithful. So, So there's no protection in not trying. We need to stop refusing to armor up because we're afraid that if we do, Satan might defeat us. We're already defeated, if that's the case. But God has already conquered Satan. I mean, God could speak Satan out of existence, right? So why doesn't he? Well, here's some thoughts to ponder, I guess. Uh, I don't really believe that our spiritual warfare is for God's benefit. You see, because God doesn't need us to overcome Satan for him. God defeated Satan on the cross. But rather, God wants us to experience sharing in his victory to bless us with the joy of honoring God in our lives and to grow more intimate with Him. Because, yeah, I mean, you can grow a relationship in the good times, but how much stronger, how much more powerful is that relationship when you walk through trials together? And because God has already defeated Satan, there's no reason that we as God's subjects would be under Satan's authority. First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. God's power is available to Christians to overcome Satan every time. 1 Corinthians 10.13 also says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And you think, well, that's nice, but you know... Is that really applicable? You know, we've all heard that, you know, yeah, there's no temptation that uh, will come that we can't overcome, but it doesn't really seem that way sometimes. But I just want to take you to an example uh, of what this can look like in God's Word. And I want to look at Job and with Job's battle with Satan. And, you know, Job was confused as well. He certainly didn't have a clear understanding of why what was happening to him was happening. I really don't think that he probably felt victorious um, despite his faithfulness. And I would encourage you to read the whole story. But despite the the struggle that Job went through, he never lost his faith. And, And that's the key here. But in Job 1, verses 6 through 12, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? 
Thus bless the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So right off we see that God is pleased with Job's life. And God expects that Job will have victory over Satan. I don't think God's intention was to destroy Job, right? Uh, God is about, rather, to defeat Satan with the obedience of a mere man. And that's what's amazing about this story. See, Satan destroys Job's family. He destroys all his possessions. He takes everything except his life and his wife, you know, um, who's who's there uh, with all of her encouragement to curse God and die. But uh, in the end, Job makes Satan look like a fool. Satan thought that he was so great that he was worthy of God's place, that he could, um, you know, be God himself, that he was worthy of worship. And here he is. He can't even break the spirit of a mere man. And so how did Satan handle that defeat? (laughs) Well, look at round two, okay? If we turn to Job 2, 1 through 7, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And what's fascinating about this story is, if you look closely, Satan had already quit bothering Job. <laughs> and when God asked, you know, from whence came that? He didn't come from tempting Job. He says he came from going to and fro. He had already given up. He didn't even bring Job up because he was a sore loser, right? It was unfair. Satan basically starts in, well, yeah, I mean, you know, does he serve thee for naught, right? Remember that? Now he's saying, well, yeah, but uh, skin for skin, you know, you didn't let me go far enough. You know, if you would let me play fair, you know, he'll curse thee to thy face. You know, that's what Satan is saying. You know, he had, God has an unfair advantage. All of the, all the sore loser complaints of a quitter. And it's awesome because God almost appears to be taunting Satan for losing. I mean, have you considered Job? <laughs> you know, he's doing pretty well. He's still holding fast over there in case you forgot, right? You know, he's that guy you said, you know, would, would turn on me. Do, do you Have you considered my servant Job? Uh, you know, as if Satan forgot, right? That guy that he had poured out all his power on and accomplished nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he, con- he had considered Job. <laughs> But uh, God asks him again and challenges him. And it says that he is in thine hand. You know, give it your best. You know, let's see who is really the God of Job. And I think a lot of times when we read this story, it seems so unfair that God would let Satan just have all this victory in Job's life. But I don't really think that's what happened. See, God didn't give Satan victory over Job's life. Job was given the opportunity to have victory over Satan. Satan's very best was not enough. 
And it says that in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. See, God blessed Job to be an example of defeating Satan. His life displayed Satan's inadequacy. And the story shows us how Satan doesn't really stick around very long when he's losing. God offers the victory over Satan to all of us. I mean, how awesome is that? You know, whenever we're so focused on our struggling with Satan, you know, we, we completely miss the fact that God is giving us this opportunity to, to just crush it. <laughs> God has given us an opportunity to defeat Satan. You know, that, that is the, the awesome thing. I mean, what a privilege that is. Remember that Satan is a quitter, and quitters refuse to stay in a situation that doesn't confirm what they want to believe about themselves. And, and so whenever we're going through this, you know, we have that amazing opportunity to talk about God so much that Satan feels jealous, to have a marriage that's so awesome that it's embarrassing for Satan to admit that he tried to destroy it. You know, I want to walk so closely to God that when God talks to Satan, he can say, remember my servant Kenneth, you know, <laughs> and grin about how that one worked out for the devil. You know, I want to leave a legacy that Satan will want to forget because his failures in my life made him look like a fool. That's the power of the story of Job. Not that, you know, Job lost everything, but because he was a really great Christian, you know, God gave it back and blessed him more. That's that's not what's awesome about it. I mean, it's nice that he got a lot of, you know, blessings and stuff and family. And that's wonderful. But what I find awesome about the story is that Satan threw everything at him. And through God, Satan def- was was completely defeated by Job in his faithfulness to God. And Romans 16.20 says that, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And I really like it the way it's written in a lot of other translations. And this one's from the New King James Version. And it says that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. (laughs) And uh, you see, God doesn't want to just crush Satan. He wants to crush Satan with your feet. We are not victims at the mercy of Satan. God is willing to put Satan under your feet and leave him there. God desires to use you to crush him. So we can crush him till he gives up. Crush him till he moves on. Crush him till he's embarrassed when God mentions your name. What a privilege. 1 John 4 4 says, Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And until next time, may we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen.